This podcast is part of the Robots Radio Rocket Club, a program designed to help all podcasts reach their full potential. For information about joining the Robots Radio Rocket Club, check out robotsradio.net. Welcome to the MC Lorecast. I'm Captain Shenko. And I'm Psych88. So today we're going to be going to 2013 to talk about a little film called Thor The Dark World. And as always, this is not a spoiler-free zone. So, Genesis? If you're looking for a spoiler-free zone, sorry lovelies, you are in the wrong place. Thank you, Jen. Very appreciated. We love you, and we're looking forward to seeing you at the Patreon chat. Indeed. All right, so at the start of this movie, we're seeing something from way, way, way back, like way before the events of even the first Thor movie. It introduces us to Bor, who's Odin's dad, and he's fighting with our big bad, Malekith, who's a dark elf. And he wants to unleash this thing called the Aether on the world. And it's the super destructive fluid, it's red, it's evil... All that. Yeah, it reminds me of, like, Rise of Silver Surfer Galactus. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it just eats everything in its, in its wake. It destroys everything it touches. After defeating the Dark Elves, and I'm gonna butcher this, I believe it's pronounced Svartalfheim. Uh, Svartalfheim. Svartalfheim. Yep. Okay. Uh, hides the ether in a stone column, and... What he doesn't know is that a couple of the Dark Elves have gotten onto a ship and put themselves into kind of like cryostasis. So they're still out there. They're just going to go to sleep for a while until the plot says to wake up. And then we're in the throne room and we get to see Loki all handcuffed after the events of the Avengers. And he's kind of standing trial for his war crimes (laughs) in New York. While, you know, Loki, Loki ends up imprisoned on Asgard and... Thor is out in the world trying to win the peace. He's we see this big battlescape and the warriors three are are fighting alongside him and it seems like they're going to be overwhelmed when Thor hits the big guy with his hammer and <laughs> blows him up. The big bad was not so big and bad as it turns out. So Thor makes short work of them and then accepts their surrender and then we get a big celebration on Asgard in his honor. Uh, I really, uh, I appreciated seeing the cinematography as far as uh, the scenes in Asgard because we saw it a little bit in Thor, uh, but we spent a lot of time just in, you know, New Me- in New Mexico. And I liked seeing, you know, Asgard, the realm of the gods, the place that Thor is from that's supposed to be so important to who he is. We actually get to spend a decent chunk of time uh, in Asgard, which I really like to see. Yeah. Um, Branagh's Asgard felt small. Like, it was just an outpost with the you know, rainbow bridge attached to it, right? Just a big city attached to it. But in this one, it really expanded out to be, like, a whole... It felt like a place. It felt like a place that you could go. You know, I, I loved some of the balcony scenes 
with Odin and Thor and, you know, when they're kind of having their heart to heart about how Thor is going to be a great king and, you know, just how bright and beautiful and how big Asgard felt in those scenes. Mm-hmm. I just loved it. Yeah. Uh, I would have loved to see more of that in the first Thor movie and I'm happy that we got it here, even though pretty soon we're going to be leaving. They're having this big party, but Thor is super distracted. He's not really caring about what's going on on Asgard. He's more worried about his lady friend back on Earth. And he kind of sneaks away from the party, even though his father kind of strong arms him and is like, hey, I know you like that mortal chick down on Earth, but like, here's Lady Sif. Don't you think that would be a great option? And Thor's like, "Mm, nah, I'm going to go talk to Heimdall. Uh, Heimdall tells him that uh, Jane has been studying the convergence, which is about to happen, a big event across the Nine Realms that will become important later. And he tells him that she's, you know, looking for him. She's looking for Thor. And all of a sudden, he can't see her. That's not a good thing when you're supposed to see all. <laughs> I don't know how Heimdall manages to keep his sanity. You can see and hear everything in the Nine Realms. I mean, I get it. He's supposed to be a god, but... Man, all that, all those people talking, I can barely handle, you know, my two kids talking to me at the same time. Yeah, definitely. Uh, There's a bunch of weird things starting to happen in our world, in London. And Jane, who evidently went through some kind of um, post-breakup depression, is on a date with her rebound guy. (laughs) (laughs) Poor Chris O'Dowd. (laughs) Always the rebound the poor guy, yeah. So she's, you know, trying to figure out if she wants the sea bass when our good friend Darcy appears at the restaurant, eats the bread, uh, which, you know, she's always been the comic relief. And I, I, you know, I have friends like her who would definitely crash my date, eat my bread, and then drop a bomb and leave. <laughs> so, uh, yeah, so she tells her, you know, Hey, your weird science equipment that you built that you haven't looked at in forever, it's starting to do some weird stuff. Maybe you should look at it. Uh, I know that you're kind of upset after you know who went you know where and, you know, now you're all depressed. But I'm proud of you. You got out. You're on a date. You took a shower. He's cute. And he's just sitting there like, good God. (laughs) (laughs) What have I gotten myself into? Um, Jane tracks down kind of the source of the anomaly and finds some kids playing with physics which yeah there's some there's some violations here i think but they're they're flipping trucks because the gravity's all weird and the magnetic fields are all shifted around <clears throat> and then she ends up kind of getting dragged down this hallway and then appears with the ether and i don't know about you but if i got sucked into another dimension and then saw this glowing rock thing i don't think my first instinct would be to touch it yeah that'd be the last thing i would do I really don't. I mean, I I am like a crow and I love shiny things. But I think if I had just been transported to another world and I see this big scary rock with this glowing angry stuff making all kinds of weird noises, the last thing I'm doing is going, oh yeah, let me stick my hand in there. Um, the ether ends up getting sucked into Jane and uh, she wakes up in the, you know, back at the warehouse and she's pissed because Darcy called the police. <laughs> well she'd been missing for like hours at that point not minutes from foster's perspective right so she wakes up and she's like why did you call the police we had unrestricted access to this anomaly and then darcy's like hey you need to chill out you were gone for over an hour 
Then it starts uh, starts raining, and when we pan over, there's Thor standing there in a perfectly dry circle. I mean, god of the weather. That's yeah. What he can do. So Jane walks over. Uh, they they share a kiss, and then she slaps him. As you do. Where were you? I mean, I think I'd be a little bit mad too if I found out my space boyfriend had been in New York and didn't even drop in to say hi. Um, there was a little bit of a throwaway line in Avengers where they said that they moved Jane Foster to keep her safe, and Thor thanks uh, Thor thanks Coulson because they're old buddies from way back. Uh, but I mean, I think she's understandably angry after after they solved all the problems and got the Tesseract back. There's no reason he couldn't have dropped in and said, "Hey, Jane, sorry I've been gone. I kind of blew up the Rainbow Bridge on my way out, so couldn't really just come in for a casual visit." Yeah, he'd have at least left a message. Hey, Tony, you know how she's this really smart scientist lady? You should drop a line to her and just let her know that, yeah, I'm alive and there was a reason I couldn't come visit. Uh, or, you know, tell Selvig, <laughs> who was literally there. Um, plot point aside. Well, so the problem with Selvig is uh, he, he went nuts. He's off the loony bin now, yeah. Yeah, so Selvig's not someone I would trust with leaving a message. Definitely could have left it with Tony. That's fair. That's fair. Um, but uh, Darcy comes over and breaks over the sweet moment and was like, hey, can you can you kind of like make it stop raining? This is really inconvenient. <laughs> so he does. He stops the rain. And then they, uh, you know, Thor's worried because he's like, hey, uh, my, my buddy who can see all and knows all, he can't see you. What's going on? And Jane's not quite sure, but he ends up, poof, take her to Asgard, right? Odin's not happy <laughs> when Thor shows up with his Earth girlfriend. Jane's ecstatic that Thor has told his father all about her, but he calls her a goat at the dinner table. Oh, Odin. Always at it with the one-liners. Such a charmer he is. Oh, yeah, yeah. Great great A father and great with the ladies, too. <laughs> you know, he says, you know, they need to escort her to leave, and as soon as the guards go to grabber thor's like hey i wouldn't i wouldn't do that and the aether strikes out and attacks the guards and jane collapses and odin says you know all right go take her to get checked out yes he's i think he knew a little bit uh more than he let on right at that moment she's getting scanned on this crazy space magic table and they tell her you know there's this crazy energy source inside of you and it's leaching your your life essence basically so if you don't get this thing out, you're probably not going to make it. This is, of course, very alarming for Thor, because he's just been reunited with his lady friend. And Malekith's awakened by the release of the Aether, and he ends up attacking Asgard while, you know, Jane and everyone is, is there. And Thor's mom doesn't make it through the attack. She sacrifices herself to save Jane and make sure that they can get off Asgard. They've concocted this plan with Heimdall and, you know, Thor springs Loki from his prison and uh, the Warriors 3 end up helping out. And I'm glad we covered the Warriors 3 in our character episode because we're going to see them get wasted in the next kind of sequence. Um, during the escape from Asgard, the only three that make it past Asgard are, of course, Thor, Loki, and, and Jane. Uh, Lady Sif helps them. Uh, she helps get Jane out of, you know, her confinement, and then the, you know, Volstag and Fandral and Hogan end up kind of 
getting, you know, taking out the guards and causing a distraction so that they can leave. But they all end up getting, you know, arrested because basically just committing treason at that point. Because Odin had forbidden them to try to destroy the ether or any of that. He basically took the attack on the chin and uh, and said, we'll defeat them to the last Asgardian breath. But that's concerning for Thor. We understand that Odin's just been through a loss because his wife has just been killed. But, I mean, Thor just lost his mom. And he still has the presence of mind to try to think about a plan that's going to save as many lives as possible. Which is a great shift for him. Because, you know, previously he'd been all about the glory of battle and and you know, the the might of Asgard and, and their prowess in battle. And now he is far more heroic and self, uh, self-sacrificing. self Yeah, he would rather take the risk himself and try to destroy the Aether and take it away from Asgard so that fewer lives will be lost. Um, so, you know, good for you. They need, they need Loki, though, in order to escape Asgard because the Rainbow Bridge is kind of out as far as their options go. It's still not doing hot. Um, in the Avengers, Loki had said to Thor, you know, how much en- dark energy did the Allfather have to conjure to bring you here? So it's not really an easy thing to move between realms now. It's not as casual as let's pop open the Rainbow Bridge and take a jaunt on Earth, you know? So they end up escaping to the realm of the Dark Elves. Yeah, Loki knew a, uh, you know, one of those secret hidden paths out of, out of Asgard that led directly to Svartalheim. So that's why they needed Loki to get Foster out. And I have to say, I love the scene where Thor picks up Loki. Because up till that moment, you had seen Loki just chilling out in his cell, reading a book, and doing whatever. And that was all an illusion. When they revealed that illusion, he had completely just tossed the cell and had completely basically a meltdown in there. And you saw how far he had fallen. When Thor offers him this opportunity to do something good for a change. He doesn't like leap at it, but you can definitely see him consider for the first time some of the ramifications of his actions. Mm-hmm. And then we see a little bit later as they're making their final approach to meet Malekith. Thor says, I don't, I don't trust you. And Loki says, trust my rage. Because he's the only person who's really been there for Loki is his mother Frigga. She was the only one that wanted to give him an opportunity to be an equal with his brother. She always saw him for him. And now he's lost her after really being kind of horrible to her. His last interaction with his mother was telling her that she's not really his mother. And, you know, he says that because he's hurting and because he's going through something, not because I think he actually means it. Because, I, you know, before that, Frigga taught him his magic and his illusions She's been a big part of his life, and now she's gone. And his only lasting moment from her, the last thing he remembers saying to her is, you're not actually my mother. The poor dude. Uh, Anyway, so Loki pretends to betray Thor and and throws Jane at Malekith's feet and says, you know, the only thing I want in return for giving you what you want is the best place to watch Asgard burn. And... Then it's revealed as as Malekith is drawing the ether out of Jane that this was all kind of a ruse so that Thor could have an opportunity while the ether was exposed to destroy it. So he um, having his hand cut off was just an illusion from Loki and his hand comes back. He grabs the hammer and shoots a bunch of lightning at the ether and it you know 
there's a loud explosion and a lot of dust clearing. And they think for about 0.5 seconds that they've succeeded until all the little pieces of the ether just kind of pick themselves out of the dust and blow straight towards Maliki. Yeah, that one kind of backfired. Um, Loki ends up getting impaled by Cursed, and, you know, Thor cradles Loki and says that he's going to tell Odin about his sacrifice, and then Loki has this really sweet moment with his brother where he says, I didn't do it for him. But he's not. And then he dies. <laughs> Maybe. He kind of dies. He does the Loki thing where, you know. He, he so, does the Loki thing. He's but, only dead know. for a little bit. But we'll get there. <laughs> um, after that, we go back to Earth. You know, Thor uh, ends up you know, taking taking Jane, and they end up going back to London in order to in order to save Selvig, who's gone off the loony bin. Yeah, he's finally sort of come back to you know here and this reality, and they're dealing with the whole convergence problem. And Malekith drops his old big old shit down. In the middle of London, and we have a nice, you know, big old fight. We do get our Stan Lee cameo when they spring, uh, when they spring Selvig from the loony bin. Mm. He wants his shoe back, because Selvig's been trying to explain the convergence to these old people, and they're just not, um, they don't really care. <laughs> they're like, oh, okay, this guy's, this guy's crazy. Uh, he's in here for a reason. We just want to get back to bingo, and please, please give me back my orthopedic. It was expensive. <laughs> yeah i mean those kind of are selvig had devised these spikes to regulate the convergence or the effects of the convergence and they need to get them out of the storage from the quote-unquote loony bin i think it was just an old folks home but they they you know they had to put them somewhere i guess i guess they are a little bit homemade <laughs> yeah like some of them are taped together and the the intern who is pretending to be Selvig's son <laughs> is trying to carry these spikes and he's dropping them everywhere. Um, I do want to know why Darcy, the intern, needed an intern. Well, because, let's face it, Darcy doesn't work. That's fair. She cares a lot more about her iPod <laughs> than doing any actual physics. But anyway, so they end up, you know, like you said, the Malekith drops his ship right in the middle of, uh, of Greenwich. And Thor's got to go deal with all that. <laughs> uh, meanwhile, physics is going nuts as the, you know, as the convergence is, um, is starting to take place. We get to see all these portals opening up in the sky, showing all of the realms. And Malekith's big plan is to send the ether through all of the branches of, of the universe. And every time it, it goes through one of those, the effects multiply and get stronger. So he wants to basically bring the world back to dark because that's where the dark elves are from they want the darkness from the original founding of the universe to return man chris eccleston is such a great actor and i loved his run on doctor who and i think he's just incredible and talented they didn't really give him a fair shake as malachith uh no we'll talk about that in the second half yeah well the ether is starting to you know cause this crazy storm that's destroying everything Thor takes his hammer, flies through the storm, and ends up um, hammering that spike that Selvig made directly into Malekith, and then causing it to go off. You know, he goes, okay, now, and I don't know how Jane heard him, 
you know, they triangulate and they can see the signal from the from the post now that it's lodged firmly in Malekith's chest. And poof, he gets, you know, disappeared. And then the, the big ship falls and all the portals start to close as the convergence dies down. And the ether ends up getting re-trapped, I guess. Yeah, um, which we'll see it again in the end credit scene. But long story short, Thor has to... You know, he returns to Jane, and he says that he's gonna he's gonna come back. Thor, don't make promises you can't keep. They go back, and then uh, Jane kind of explains to Selvig and Darcy and the intern that Thor kind of committed treason on their way out, so he might not not be back for <laughs> a little while. Uh, and then our big scene with Loki, more or less. Uh, Loki's not dead. You get to see a little bit of a green shimmer, and then he's, you know, we see this this Asgardian guard, and then he goes back to Asgard to tell Odin that Loki's Loki's dead. And it's revealed that Loki is impersonating Odin. So somewhere between Loki's death in Thor's arms and the end of the movie here, Loki somehow got back to Asgard, snuck in, dealt with Odin somehow, which we'll discuss in Ragnarok, and now is impersonating him and is king of Asgard. Congratulations. Mm. You got what you wanted. Your mom's dead, but you got what you wanted. Yeah. Oof. Not gonna lie, I never understood the point of coming back to that character like part of Loki. I felt like he would have moved through it, for sure. So to have him still obsessed with having a throne and being a king is just a bit... Um, it's a little rough. It's a little rough to, to hear, because... I think one of my big issues with this and, and why this movie would not have been further up on my list of movies that I like is that I think a lot of times with the character of Loki specifically, directors don't really know where to go with him because he has the traits of, oh, he's a trickster and he's the god of mischief and he likes to lie and have and pull pranks and he's not always honest and whatever. I think in that way, they have just failed to understand what to do with him. He's... Yeah. He... he can't stand on his own two feet as his own character, which is just a shame because Tom Hiddleston is an extremely talented actor and he has an absolute passion for the character of Loki. And I'm going to have more feelings about all of this when we do eventually talk about the Loki series. Yes. But they they gave him all these great characterizing moments in this movie and then just, they're like, okay, hey, we're going to like erase all of that and now he's the king of Asgard. Yeah. Yeah, that, Yeah. I, I used the word a second ago. It was regressive. That's what it feels like. We mm-hmm. just went back to square one with them, and it was. It comes out. It comes so much out of left field because you don't. You don't have a scene set up right. Like there isn't a cut back to Svartalheim and see Loki like pop back up and be alive and sneak back into Asgard and do all this. No, it comes literally right before credits to like wink at the audience, nudge, nudge. Hey. I'm still here, guys. He's coming back. We're going to see him again, which, I, I mean, I'm happy that they brought him back, but I wish that they had done it in a different way. I don't have a problem with him surviving the events of Svartalheim and, and the battle there. I have a problem with what they did with him after. <laughs> anyway, so they, uh, uh, Volstag and, and Sif end up taking the Aether to the Collector uh, because they said that, that Infinity Stones should not be close to one another, and, and the Tesseract is already there. The Collector... Then, kind of creepily, looks at the ether and he goes, one down, you know, four more to go. 
or five more to go, rather. Also, they never dealt with the frost monster. <laughs> that one's still running amok. Yeah, that does not get dealt with. And and then, hey, Thor does make good on his word. He comes back, kisses Jane. We do end on a high note, at least. Yeah, but that's it for the plot synopsis at any rate. And we've got a little bit to talk about as far as feelings and actors go in part two. Yeah, so let's move on to our mid-break. Alright, welcome to the mid-break, where we talk all things about the podcast that aren't movie or comic book related. Uh, first up on the list, we'd like to thank our patrons, Genesis, who's at our tier four. So thank you very much, and thank you to all of our other patrons for your support at this time. Uh, if you would like to support the Patreon, the link will be in the description. If you would also like to help support the show... You can leave us a five-star review on Spotify or Stitcher or wherever you get your podcasts. Or you could leave us a well-written review with the five stars on Apple. We would really appreciate it. We would re read out any five-star review we get. Have not quite gotten any new ones yet at this time. If you want to talk to us at all, you can always hit us up on Twitter or on the Robots Radio Discord. We're always happy to talk Marvel or DC or how is your day or whatever. So talk to us. We like to talk to you. We're both also affiliated with a couple other shows that you might be interested in. So where else can they find you? Uh, I am a player for the Mass Effect Blue Shift, a tabletop RPG podcast utilizing the Fate gaming system to uh, solve cases on the Citadel. And I play Dashing citadel security agent jack parizo and i'm having a grand old time just being a charming flynn rider-esque character it's great fun and what about you shanko i know you are very busy apparently i'm painfully busy all the time you can find me as the host of the fight space which is the one of the only female-led martial arts podcasts on the internet we recently had uh, Pipe Man on to talk about Tom Hardy's Brazilian Jiu-Jitsu and the movie Warrior. So if you're into all that, go check it out as The Fight Space. And you can also find me as one half of the Wizarding World Lorecast, which is a Harry Potter podcast that I do with Ben of Tamaria. You guys just did wands, right? Yeah, we just talked about wand lore and the different, you know, cores and woods that you can make those out of. So definitely, definitely interesting and keeping it new. Moving through, too. Nice. Do we have anything else, Shinko? Yeah, so this episode is brought to you by Bearded Brown Coat, which is an awesome comic shop in my hometown, of Ocala, Florida. They've got two locations, one off of State Route 200 and one next to the Publix Plaza, a little bit further south in Bellevue. Uh, they are your one-stop shop for all of your nerdy needs. Uh, they've got dice, books, back issue comics, trade papers, literally anything you could think of that you would need as far as tabletop gaming or comic books or video games, you can find it at Bearded Brown Coat. Neat. And their website will also be in the episode description. All right. Well, that is it for our mid-break. Thank you very much. And now it is time for some lore. What do we got today? Uh, I have a whole two characters. Whole two. 
And normally I'd be like ecstatic because like that would mean I could talk about other aspects of this mo movie, right? And, how, and the comic book that inspired it and all this other stuff. That doesn't exist. I'm sorry. I It's an original screenplay set within the rules of the MCU. All of what you watched, like it only has specific ties to the comic book. But if you removed all of that, this movie would just be a fantasy space opera. Like, just a generic fantasy space opera. That's all it, like, that's it. But as for characters, we have Michaela the Accursed, introduced in Thor number 344 in June 1984 by Walt Simonson. He's a dark elf. He wants to take over the world. Pretty self-explanatory. Like, that's it. He evil. Yeah, uh, like, comic book version has, like, a much more tragic backstory. Grown up a slave and worked his way and dealt with the war has a vendetta against light elves but that's pretty also standard of norse mythology dark elves and light elves in an ever ever eternal war at each other like that's it that's what they do his mother sold him i just pulled up the wiki on malekith because i don't i didn't really know much about him as far as um the like mythological tie-ins um does he have any other than just being a dark elf no no, he he just an, he's an original Marvel character set within the Norse mythology. He is mm -hmm. not he is not like Sif. Mm -hmm. He's much more like the Warriors Three. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I'm just reading here on the page. It says his mother sold him for two sacks of snake livers and half a barrel of pickled toads. That's extremely um, specific and just terrible. I don't know, like because he had a bunch of siblings and they all either died or also were sold off and. Mom didn't want to put up with him anymore, so sold off. There he goes. Bye-bye. Hmm. Yeah. He has the village and or origin story, to say the very least. <laughs> also is his right hand, Algrim the Strong, or Curse with a K, introduced in Thor number 347 in September 1984 by Walt Simonson. Algrim is also a dark elf. He works for Malekith. The only real difference is that Algrim is betrayed by Malekith at some point. Unlike in the movie where Curse just gets taken out. Uh, I forget who's fighting, but he just, yeah, he dies. Yeah, he gets um, stabbed through the, like, through his whole body. And then uh, he grabs Loki and stabs Loki on the, the piece that's sticking out of him. Right. Okay. Um, and then And then Loki has one of those grenade things that the Dark Elves had that just, like, ate everything and and poofed him mm. into some other dimension and he sticks one of those to him and that's that's how he goes again no like no real world norse mythology connection he's just he's a big strong dark elf he's the muscle to malekith's brains how does he differ as far as from the comics because in, in the movie they show that he get he kind of like cut he has cut himself open and stuck this thing in his wound and then he crushes it to get strong and big between being a man and being the curse. In the comics, it's an armor. It's an enchanted armor that he has to be put into. Mm. And that sort of like bound itself to him and that turns him into curse. But mm. even without the enchanted armor, he's still just a big, strong dark elf. Mm. He was Algrim the Strong before he was curse. So he was already very strong. So I think this movie is, it's not very many people's favorites. And... I definitely, I, I, and I, I'm probably in the minority saying this, but despite its issues, it 
does fall slightly above the first Thor and ahead of Ragnarok for me personally. Um, I liked what they were trying to do with some of the characters and moving forward. They did end up kind of stepping on their own toes, especially with Loki. And, you know, they did try to keep the continuity from the previous films, but this one definitely read as a setup movie, and I know you have feelings about it. Yeah, I do not care for setup movies. Movies should have a purpose beyond introducing an element that's to be used in a later movie. This, the whole point of this movie is, is to introduce us to the reality stone that is the ether. That is it. That is all. And that is very frustrating. As both a comic book lover and a movie lover, my movies and my entertainment should serve more purpose than to set up someone else's movie. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I think a lot of the... <sighs> You know, I think Iron Man and Captain America were definitely stronger performing movies in this phase. And I think a lot of it has to do with the fact that they weren't used to set up something like another Infinity Stone. Correct. You know, they they had their own storylines that stood on their own despite the Marvel stuff. Whereas this one struggled to be anything more than, this is the movie where we bring you the ether. Here you go. Yeah, uh, this movie feels like it is a movie made by movie executives that's what it feels like it's down to a formula you're going to do these things with this stuff and here's all the stuff we want in it so just make it happen that's it iron man 3 you were dealing with the personal struggle of tony stark as he dealt with having died or nearly died in the battle of new york captain america is dealing with both the personal struggle of a man out of time running into his oldest friend in the entire world plus the global struggles of you know how much security does one need and still can maintain that as a freedom you know those overarching things they sell they they sell those movies and support those movies far better Mm -hmm. plus you had great chemistry amongst everything here Mm -hmm. there's still decent chemistry but i would say portman kind of phoned this one in she was upset about uh, Patty Jenkins not directing. And that's one of the reasons why we don't have Portman in uh, Ragnarok. She didn't want anything to do with the, the IP anymore. Patty Jenkins was set up to be the first, first woman to direct a uh, comic book action movie. And that could have been for, that could have been a feather in Marvel's cap. That would have been a fantastic feather in Marvel's cap. Instead, that went to DC when she directed wonder woman mm-hmm. so that was a missed opportunity on marvel's part and it soured relations between marvel and one of their lead actors mm-hmm. and you know that went on you know what are we talking 2014 here 2013 whatever yeah it went on almost nine years <laughs> yeah it took almost nine years to get that kind of fixed that's saying something yeah i think so one of the things i had said that i appreciated so much about captain america the winter soldier is if you stripped away all of the comic book Marvel stuff. It's still just an action spy thriller that stands fine on its own. You don't right. get that with this. If you took no. away all of the, the the Marvel stuff and the Thor comics and the characters and you gave them default space opera names, this movie would not have made it. It, it did not have enough of its own leg to stand on. And that's kind of a tough thing to swallow, especially now that we're 
kind of entrenched in what I think a lot of people consider to be the strongest part of the MCU, or one of them at least. Yeah, uh, I mean, Phase 2's got a lot going for it, and this was a slump for it. And within the context of the, uh, you know, of the world mind at the time, right? We're coming off Avengers, we get hit with Iron Man 3, which is divisive. And then this movie was actually after Iron Man 3. We are, we kind of flip-flop so that Dark World could be our Halloween episode, since it's dark and, I'm not going to say spooky, but whatever. Slightly more spooky than Captain America. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, so there you go. Happy Halloween. But yeah, so we're already coming off a... mm, Is this movie quite as good narrative from Iron Man 3? And so now we're in a real slump. We're back-to-back on movies that the fans are not happy with, I'd say. Mm -hmm. Now, we we come back with Cap, and Cap Punch is strong. And does well and holds well. The makeup, the shakeup of the both the world state and and everything like that really that's a big draw and that helped a lot. It also complete like in my in my opinion, it completely screwed up what Marvel was trying to do outside of the MCU. But whatever. Mm-hmm. Yes, I mean I'll admit the Hydra the Hydra thing did come out of left field, and I think a lot of the I think a lot of the. Um issues with this phase are plot points that come out of left field. They're like, oh, this would be an interesting thing to throw into this movie. Let's do it. Yeah. Like the plot armor, (laughs) the plot armor of Iron Man 3, the Hydra thing in Captain America. And then with this one, just here's your setup movie. Let's waste these actors who were incredible. Uh, Absolutely. Let's let's waste Christopher Eccleston in... It's so much makeup that I didn't realize when I first watched this movie. I didn't know I it was him. I had no idea. I had no idea until. And I was like, wait, Christopher Eccleston was in this movie? My doctor was in this movie? No, that can't be right. And then I looked a little closer. I said, I guess it is that guy. He looks uncomfortable. Yeah. So we'll waste Eccleston. We're going to waste the talent that is in Sif and the Warriors 3 entirely. We're going to try to focus on Thor and Foster here, but at the same time, it's, I don't know, it, the chemistry's off. Yeah, I always felt like their chemistry was forced. I didn't think that they had any natural chemistry, so to speak. You know, I, I think they they said, okay, let's cast these two people. You know, Chris Hemsworth is Chris Hemsworth, and he looks like he does. And... <laughs> They're like, oh, this is a vaguely space opera-esque thing. Let's cast Natalie Portman because she she was, you know, in that one thing that did really well. <laughs> Let's put them together and, and see what happens. But I feel like they were given a script and said, do your best. But I, I don't want to take away from Chris Hemsworth, but I, I will fully say that I don't think he has the acting chops of Hiddleston or Hopkins or some of the other people he has, to, he has had to share the screen with. I think he's got the chops. Uh, what I think is, I think he's not a romantic actor, and they didn't give him. They didn't give him someone that he was able to connect with in Jane Foster. I think the the casting choice there was made because she's a big name and she brought a little bit of draw to the film. But their on screen chemistry, I struggle to believe that that was the best screen test that they had. I I feel like Hemsworth has has the chops and the charisma he just he just didn't have quite a good story to be able to to do that Mm -hmm. and he's not allowed to he was not allowed to 
add in any of his own flair, I guess, to the character. And I think Thor is another one of those characters that a lot of directors have struggled to figure out how to use. Because it's so easy to typecast him as the big, dumb, hot one. (laughs) Yeah, yeah. It's so easy to do that with a character like Thor. Where what I did appreciate about this one in particular was those scenes where we get to see him being the leader and the the tactician and the king and the, you know, more, I dare say human, more like a person and less like a, a this hero. Yeah, yeah, uh, absolutely, 100% actually a hero rather than a blonde himbo, mm-hmm. which is what I feel like he kind of got reduced to in the others. But we will save those conversations for when we hit the other Thor movies. Mm-hmm. In light, it to basically save our listeners here from... A continued uh, rage fest. <laughs> I I have said my piece on it. It's not my favorite. I can see why it's a slump. Even the director, who was like the third pick for this movie after Brenna left, Jenkins left, and I think another guy actually left between that. So he's actually number four to actually do it. Uh, he wasn't happy with it. So overall, I'd say, yeah, Thor The Dark World. It's a movie you can actually skip. Yeah. Because if you didn't need it to set up the ether, there are elements of it that are good and that are worth saving, but they get overshadowed by the other junk that they did to it. Yeah. It, like, and it's it matters so little to the grand scheme of things. Like, okay, sure, that means that puts the ether on nowhere. Mm-hmm. And really, that, that tie-in was simply for the Guardians of the Galaxy, who is, I believe, what is up next. Boy, exciting yep. topic. None too small. And I think the movie that surprised a whole heck of a lot of people. Oh, yeah. It surprised me. Yeah, I, I was like, Guardians of the Galaxy? What are they doing? Who are the gal- Guardians of the Galaxy? But all that to say and done, uh, next episode will actually be our first patron chat, which unless this gets changed between here and now, it will be myself, uh, Shenko, with, and with our lovely supporter genesis so be on the lookout for that coming up and then we'll be heading into guardians of the galaxy and our holiday stuff so be on the lookout and until then night everyone night as we all know when it comes to making a movie there are a lot of people working behind the scenes to make that movie magic happen and it is no different when making a podcast. Welcome to the credits section of the MCU Lorecast. Captain Shanko and I would like to personally thank the following for their incredibly hard work and faith in us to get this podcast rolling. Tom, the head of the Robots Radio Network, for hosting and mentoring. N7 Legend of the Mass Effect Lorecast for inspiration. Genesis and Vervada of the Two Girls One Ship podcast for introducing us. Let's Not, a fellow tabletop gamer and friend for the amazing artwork. Pipe Men, a veteran and friend for the outstanding music. Our significant others for believing in and supporting us through this. And you, our fans, without whom this would be a vanity project. Let us know how we're doing by leaving us a review on Apple or a rating on Spotify. And to quote Stan the Man, enough said.
well do you know your video game lovers? Have you ever wondered how your video game bays stack up against all the other delectable digital dates? I'm Genesis, the girl whose motto in life is love, laugh, tequila. And on Two Girls, One Ship, we analyze, rate, and review all that the world of video game romances has to offer. And I'm Vervada, the hopeless romantic cat lady and lifelong gamer. But you should know that our podcast centers on character and romance analysis and doesn't shy away from exploring the fun of physical connection. Or from the deep emotional connections built between two characters, using specific in-game dialogue, and the overall narrative journey. So join the two girls, one ship, shipsters, and remember... Beauty is in the eye of the controller.